I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Kelvin Chen. He's a teacher of meditation and the author of Overcoming the Fear of Death. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. so much for joining us today. I know um, it's early out in Los Angeles, um, but I do appreciate your time. Yes. So tell me what sparked your interest in death and dying? Well, what sparked my interest in death and dying uh, way back, you know, 30 something years ago was the death of my mother. So my mom died when I was pretty young in my 20s and she died very young. She was in her 50s and it was so quick. It was so sudden that it was a shock to everybody. And I was very close with her. And so that's really what kind of kickstarted me into this and started talking to people about it because that helped me quite frankly, you know? So did did that like kick the door open to this book that I've been panning through and reading overcoming the fear of death through each of the four? Yeah. This is the, this is the book here. If people want to try to find it and look for what's it look like, the color and all that stuff. But yeah, um, it, it, it really did. And uh, of course, it was many years later, um, but I had been compiling stories and so forth and talking to people for many years because that's how I got out of my, I don't know if it was a depression, but it was certainly, I probably was depressed. You know, I never went to a, you know, a clinician to get diagnosed, but I was certainly really upset and I cried a lot. My mom died and so forth. And, and, and then I would hold it together like a lot of people do, you know, I would go to work and go to, I was in school at the time and so forth. And people, you, if you met me, then you would probably wouldn't, wouldn't be able to tell. And there's a lot of people walking around on the planet just like that. And so I'm just like everybody else. And, and yet I started pulling myself out of it. And I think talking to people was a big part of helping me. And then when I started sharing my grief, quite frankly, and my, experience with other people, then they started telling me it would open up the doors and they just, wow, my mom died. My, and then, and then they would say, wow, my brother just was in a motorcycle accident or my sister just died or my grandfather died or whatever. And it just went on like that for years. And and people would just call me up and I would just help them. Just walk them through it and kind of relate. Yeah. It's collecting stories and so forth. And, and then thought about this book. And and the thing is, it's interesting because what I when I started talking to more and more people, I started n- noticing, of course, people would default to what they would default to their religious and cultural beliefs, which makes sense. Uh, because you're, you're kind of grasping for straws almost at that point. And how do I deal with this death and dying thing, whether it's their own fear of death, or whether it's a loss of a loved one, um, or, or a loved one's fear of death, and so people will default to their religious or cultural beliefs. But what I notice is they'd start arguing with each other about who's right and who's wrong about that particular perspective. And so I thought, how can we talk more uh, with less, more about death and dying with less conflict? And so I came up with those four beliefs that, you know, that we talk about, that I talk about in the book, a way for people to talk about this in a way that's not argumentative. 
Well, let's talk about those four beliefs that, and it's almost like a tagline on your book. It's, it's overcoming the fear of death through each of the four main belief systems. So let's talk about what are those four main belief systems? Right. So the four main belief systems that I came up with that basically underlie all the religious and cultural beliefs in the world are these four. And I'll just say them very, uh, and give you a short summary of each one just very quickly. And we can talk about any of them. But, um, the first belief system that some people have is what I call the physical science belief, which is the one where they think that when the body dies, the mind shuts off. That's it. One life, you're done. That was my father's belief system. Okay. He was an engineer. And I tell lots of interesting and kind of funny stories sometimes in my book about my dad. That was the first belief system. Okay. The second belief system is what I call the fear of continued existence. So that's the belief where people think, okay, there is an afterlife. They believe that when the body dies, the mind continues, but they're afraid and they may be afraid of many different things. We talk about that, but um, there's a fear and they can, the fear of continued existence is what I call the second. Um, and then the third belief system is a belief in an afterlife. Call it whatever you want, heaven, nirvana, Valhalla, different cultures, different religions will call it different things. But there's an afterlife in, the, in, in that third belief system uh, and no, no fear. No fear. They're maybe looking forward to it even. And then the fourth belief system is uh, past lives, future lives, the whole idea of reincarnation, that you can choose to come back in another body and after your physical body this time dies. So those are the four belief systems. And basically everybody falls somewhere in that spectrum. They might be a hybrid. They could have a little of this one, a little of that one, and maybe not sure. But somewhere in there is everybody in the world falls regardless of what their religion is. So what I've found is that it's helpful for people to look through the lens of their belief system and also to understand about other people's belief systems at least insofar as those four beliefs that I just laid out so that people can talk about it more without getting into arguments, you know, and they can understand other people's perspectives. So which one do you believe in? Uh, my belief is based on experiences that I've had, and I encourage people to base their belief on experiences they've had, not on what people have told them or what they've read. But that said, um, I've had some pretty out there experiences. And so my belief system is the fourth one. Wow. I, I, I've had memories. I've had a lot of memories that are, that are inexplicable. I mean, I, 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 I've, I've, I, I know, I know languages. I know some languages that I've never studied as Kelvin Jinn. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Some words, phrases and so forth that I have never, ever studied. And then I looked up. And I go, oh, wow, um, that's interesting. Hmm. That me, that, yeah. That is interesting. Um, yeah. And we're gonna, we'll talk a little bit about that um, in, in just a little bit. But so how do, how do we make this whole death and dying more normal? Is it to talk about these specific belief systems? Or in your opinion, how do we, how do we normalize this? I think we need to talk more about it. We don't talk culturally and we're not, I'm not just talking U S culture. I'm talking worldwide. People call me from around the world 
because of the magic of the internet now. And I was the um, number one Google search result for about a year after I spoke at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, which is a famous place that's been around since 1903. If, if, you, if people have never heard of it, they should Google it. It's pretty amazing. I mean, Hillary Clinton will speak there and 8,500 people will show up immediately. Um, and they have to rent a different venue because I think their biggest hall only holds 500. But it's been around since 1903. Teddy Roosevelt, when he was president, inaugurated the opening and so forth of the speech there. Um, but because of that, I got catapulted to the number one Google search result um, for fear of death because three media outlets came and interviewed me, including a Chinese uh, TV station. And I was on the Chinese evening news to 100, 100 million people, they said. Um, so the clip is on my website um, of, of that. But anyway, because of that, people have contacted me from over 20 countries. And so um, I've learned, I've since learned about other, uh, many other countries views about death and dying cultures, views about death and dying. Um, and how little is spoken about in all cultures, quite frankly, about death and dying, or almost all. There are some cultures, there's a very small handful of cultures who make it part of their, their daily routine almost to, to, to talk about death and dying. Um, and that can be helpful and it can be hurtful because some of those people in those cultures that contact me because they talk about it so openly that it, that it actually scares them even more. So, so it can do a lot to reduce the, uh, the fears by making it more normal to talk about. And for certain people who have certain fears about all sorts of things, it can kick it up. And so in either case, I think what's important is to talk about it, but also to understand about death and dying. And so what I'm bringing to the table that's a little bit different is not just talking about it like the death cafes and so forth, but to give some understanding about how to think about death and dying with specific goal to reduce our fears about it, regardless of belief system. So I first thing I tell people is doesn't matter what my belief system is, and I don't tell them what my belief system is uh, unless they ask me. Um, they can read my book and they can kind of connect the dots and figure it out. But the first thing I tell people is, look, my belief system is irrelevant. What I'm what I care about is your belief system. So tell me about that. And then then let me help you because I can show you, regardless of what your belief system is, how we can reduce your fear and possibly eliminate it about death and dying. So can you give me one of those countries that do talk about death and dying every day? Yeah, well, you know, there, there are countries in, in Asia and South Asia and so forth. That, that there are a number of countries that, where they talk about it every day. And there's countries in, in, you know, in Nepal and so forth and in, in, in various countries when it's very open to talking about it. And yet, nevertheless, people have contacted me from those countries as well because their understanding about it is not, is not sufficient enough to reduce their fears. They may talk about it a lot and everybody goes, you shouldn't fear, you shouldn't fear death, you shouldn't fear death because of this, this, and this, and this. Um, and it, it doesn't help, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't completely alleviate it. Because the other component, not only understanding, and you know, as you read in my book, I talk about a two-pronged approach. So it's understanding, but you have to deal with the physiology. You have to deal with the, the brain chemistry. You have to deal with the cortisol and the lactic acid and the adrenaline that's built up in people's physical muscle system because of overload by the fight or flight response. 
People have overloaded their systems worldwide, and then we're walking around as physical bodies carrying all these extra chemicals that shouldn't be there. They should be sweated out. They should be excreted out of the body. And so what I do is I teach a technique that helps do that. Is that called the fight or flight response? Well, I teach the opposite of the fight or flight response. How do you turn on the opposite of the fight or flight? Because the fight or flight is that is the adrenaline pump. It's the heart racing. It's the blood going to the big muscles. And then the cortisol just pumps into the system. Now, all of that is a good thing when you're under siege and need to survive when the saber-toothed tiger was at your door, or if you're standing in the middle of an intersection crossing the street and a car runs a red light. That's a good thing. Heart race, adrenaline pumps, you run to the curb. But it's not good when you're standing in a bank line or you're in a a traffic jam, but that's what happens to everybody. So it's pumping way too often, making an over, creating an overload, and it stores in our muscles. And then you're just walking down the street, and somebody looks at you sideways, you know, a little bit weird. And then boom, your anxiety kicks in because it's right there sitting in your muscles, the pituitary gland, and the and and, and these other glands that secrete these hormones will still secrete them, but they don't even have to secrete them very much because they're stored in our muscles already. They're all ready to just go right into our bloodstream. So how do you get rid of it? So how we get rid of that is by learning a process. And I always promote effortlessness as an easiness as much as possible, because if you don't do it easy, you don't do it, basically. So I teach an easy effortless technique that allows the mind to go inside, settle down, experience itself in this different way, and turns on this opposite of the fight or flight response, and then starts reducing the chemical overload. So there's gotta be a physiological, a physical component to this. That's that's the key, not just understanding. Both need to be there. So um, I was in some of the very first experiments where they actually took blood samples during this technique uh, in the 1970s, and they noticed all of this, the lactic acid would go down, various hormones and so forth would balance out and so forth during the process. So it's it's real. Um, and now they're talking, they're doing, you know, they talk a lot more about meditation and so forth to do this. And so I was one of the, I was in 1971, I was in probably the very first group of 75 of us, or I don't know how many, about maybe there were a hundred of us in these experiments doing, uh, being, being studied. And so they measured all kinds of things and blood chemistry was just one of many brain chemistry and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and they were studied, it was published in all the scientific journals back then. That's amazing. Yeah. Was meditation a part of this process? So it's now part, it's part of a process because I'm introducing it as part of a process to help people with death and dying. Now, People will, I tell people, look, you don't have to learn my technique. You can learn any technique that you resonate with. So I tell people, to, but they got to learn something. And, and it, because it's a physical thing, it's a physiological thing that's stored in people's bodies, in their muscles. And you got to learn how to turn on the opposite of the fight or flight response. And so I end, I end up teaching a lot of people because my technique tends to be very easy. It's much easier than mindfulness and all these other, uh, mindfulness is a Buddhist meditation. It's, it's, it's less extreme than Zen Buddhist meditation uh, in terms of technique, but um, you know, I mean, you don't have to go to the monastery and stuff, but it's still a focus and control technique of the mind. And I've taught many people my technique after they've tried mindfulness and other techniques like that, 
and they all find it so much easier and therefore they do it and therefore they get the benefits quicker. Wow. And is that connected to your website um, when it comes to turning within? I have two nonprofits. One is overcoming the fear of death and the other is turning within. So I have two nonprofit uh, organizations and the nonprofit turning within is the one I teach through meditation through and then the overcoming the fear of death. Um, I, I, I have a, a lot of information there about fear of uncertainty and how to deal with grief and so forth that relates to death and dying. But each of the websites connect to the other one on the on the footer. On the bottom of every page is a link to the other website, so it makes it easy for people. So if someone is interested in learning your technique to control, I guess, maybe that's not the best word, to control the flight uh, or fight or flight response, they can... Yeah, it's like it's, it's turning on the opposite switch. You know, because if you think about it, when you're if you're standing in the middle of the intersection and somebody runs a red light, you don't think, oh, I got to turn on the fight or flight response so I can get to the other side of the street really fast. No, it turns on automatically. It's an automatic process that everybody's nervous system experiences. Problem is, it gets turned on too often inappropriately in the traffic jam or whatever. Uh, and so and so um, or when our kid comes home with a. With a, with, with a grade we're not happy about <laughs> from school. You know, the fight or flight turns out, it's like, boom, adrenaline, uh, anxiety, uh, you know, all that stuff. So if, if it's that automatic, the fight or flight is, the opposite switch needs to be as automatic to turn on. And that's why my technique is, so, is, is automatic. It's easy. Uh, it, it has to be in order to really turn it on fully. The easier it has to be, it has to be more easy. It has to be less focused. It has to be unfocused, not a focused meditation like most meditations out there are focus oriented. Because what they've done is they've taken, I've thought about this for 44 years now, I've been teaching meditation. Why is that? Why do so many meditations talk about focusing on the breath or focusing on this and da 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 or clearing the mind? Why is it a, so, so focus oriented? And I've concluded that the reason is most meditation teachers don't understand how differently the mind operates and thinks during meditation as compared to waking state. So people are used to waking state and they've taken waking state rules and applied it to meditation. And it's illogical if you think about it. Why would you take dream state rules and apply it to waking state? You would get into car accidents if you did that. You know, so, so don't apply waking state rules to meditation if you really understand meditation which most even teachers don't understand that it's it, it's not appropriate to apply apply the same rules in waking state to meditation it has to be a different set of rules and that's why when i teach it really 90 percent of what i'm teaching in my classes is unlearning getting people to unlearn what they think meditation is that is very interesting I'm going to have to contact you. I want to learn. I really do. I really do. I think that's, I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And I've been doing a lot of meditation throughout my, my years, but still I can catch myself in that, that fight or flight mode, just walking, you know, around. Um, so I think what you're saying is I can definitely relate to that. Absolutely. So, you know, in high school, I, I used to, or I did read uh, Shirley MacLaine's book out on a limb for so many times. My dad was like, why are you reading that book? And it was just, it just spoke to me about, you know, 
deja vu and all of that kind of colliding with me. And I'm, I'm very intuitive and I, I can, I can feel like, Oh, I'm going to run into someone today and I run into them. And it, it's really weird. Um, so let's talk a little bit about past lives. I mean, and your thought about that. Well, first of all, my, my thinking about past lives is that, um, well, I already told you that I've had experiences and memories and so forth, and they've been unusual and they're inexplicable other than to, dis- to, 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 to interpret them as past lives. That said, I am not personally married to any particular hard and fast belief. If somebody came up with a different explanation for some of the experiences I've had, I'd be open to hearing that. So I, I, don't, I don't have like a dogmatic view about anything. I encourage people to be open and think about things. And yeah, you may interpret it in a certain way, like I've interpreted my experiences that way. But, you know, be open and receptive to different thought and thinking. Um, I always encourage people to that. And and then the other thing about past lives is I am not into like the circus kind of of past lives. You know, like who cares if you remember you were so-and-so or this or that. It really doesn't matter. And um, I mean, I remember, I remember being a slave, and I talk about that in my book. Um, it's like I realize now, after studying some history since I had the, the memory, uh, it was about 2,300 years ago uh, because I, I remembered certain things about the, uh, the the structure of the ships that I was in, and I was shipwrecked, and I almost died uh, on the Mediterranean, and so forth. And I was black. I was a slave uh, on a on a ship rowing. You know, one of those. You know rowing and you would ram the other ships and 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 every once in a while they'd throw oil on your ship because you're throwing oil on their ship and you're throwing torches or shooting flaming arrows into their ship to blow them up and every once in a while you get blown up well we got blown up so i'm floating on a piece of i don't know yeah a piece of the ship you know like six foot by eight foot pieces of ship in the middle of mediterranean roasting in the sun and that was my first memory of the heat and the and so it was a sensory experience as well as an emotional and a visual memory as well it was a lot of different senses going on and and then um and the and the fear of 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 in the, uh, potentially dying you know and then um and yet i survived and so my point is i i've taken a practical view of past lives because in that one for example I, I remembered that my mind was, I, I willed myself to survive almost. I mentally willed myself to survive because my body was roasting in the sun. I was physically in tremendous pain. And yet I, I, I chose to compartmentalize the, my mind almost from my physical body and survive that. I willed myself to survive. So I remember I survived. I got somehow pulled onto some other ship or something and, 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 but so I've taken that to this lifetime, 2,300 years later, as Kelvin Chin, and I've informed, I've used it to inform myself when I've gone through difficult times, personally. And so remembering that I had that experience, my mind is more powerful and stronger than sometimes I may realize, and I can make it through. And so that I take, I've taken as a practical sort of lesson or about myself about my own personality. So my thing about past lives is I think they can inform us about our personalities because I think our personalities, certain traits that we each have, kind of continue from lifetime to lifetime. And at least that's been my experience in in, in remembering various 
lives that I've had. And, um, and even if you remember that you may have been, who knows for sure, a famous person, because there's people walking around thinking, oh, they were so-and-so and they were so-and-so. Maybe they were. I'll give you that. But that's not the point. The focus should be on what does it inform you about your personality? Because even if you were what who you think you may have been a famous person, or maybe not a famous person, but maybe you think you were a queen and you don't know who you were, but or royalty or whatever, I say, so what? What 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 does that inform you? What about that lifetime? Because everybody's a human being, whether you're wearing robes or where you're wearing rags. It doesn't matter. You're a mind walking around with a personality. So what does that lifetime or memory inform you about your personality so that you can improve yourself now? Because it's all about living in the present. Even if you believe in past or future lifetimes, you're still, we are all still living in the present. So regardless of whether you believe any of the four beliefs, I help people live more fully now because that's where it's happening. That's amazing. Now, let me ask you this. Have you, listen, because this is what's happened to me, is that I would run into some people and instantly connect with them. It's to the right. point that a friend of mine gave me something for Christmas and he goes, I am so happy that we get a second chance to know each other. Right. Like, like he feels like we knew each other in another life. Right. Um, because there's no, and there's still people who came into my life that are not in my life that I Every time I see them, there is this strong connection that I can't yeah. explain. Right. Yeah. Those are so I talk about that briefly in my book, um, where I talk about recognition memories. So those are sort of recognition memories. You can have recognition memories about people, places, things. I have a friend who has recognition memories about certain types of jewelry, which are unusual. Um that, that she can't otherwise explain why it's kind of strange. It has nothing to do with her culture or anything. It, you know, she's just attracted a certain kind of odd jewelry that, uh, rings that are, you know, certain serpents and so forth, rings and so forth that you don't normally see. And like, where's that? And then she looks it up and it's, they used to sell them in first century Rome and they came from Egypt and, and they were imported and she would find these pictures of things of like, that's exactly what she's dreaming about. Stuff like that. So, but you're, you're right. It could it very often, m most people experience it, I think with people. And I think that's because we have these relationships that we carry around with us for many, many, many years. Now we, if you don't believe in past lives, just look at your own lifetime now for the 20 or 30 or 50 or 60 years you've been on the planet now, and just look at those relationships that you've had and they've, who have touched you in various ways throughout your 30, 40, or 50 years on the planet now, so far. And, 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 and just see how that, how that feels emotionally to you. It's, it's, it's very palpable, it's real, and it's meaningful because it affects our lives so intimately. So if you believe in past lives, I think that these kind of sort of recognition memories that you're describing uh, are, are, are highly likely to transfer and transpose across time and space through our lifetimes because it's our minds which is transferring them. You know, we may have a different body. We may have a different age discrepancy in that relationship, even a different relational, maybe father, son, friend, uh, you know, whatever, uh, at, at different parts of, of this journey that we could call it. Um, but I think there it, it's, it's very cool. It's precious. 
the thing is that I like to point out to people is very often people will make that jump to, oh, I need to marry that person. It's just my soulmate. You know, <laughs> like I have this connection with the person. And so my whole thing, and I actually have a second book that's coming out probably in the next few months on relationships. Um, and I talk about soulmates and finding the perfect lover and all this in my book on relationships. I haven't, I don't have a title for it yet. I'm still, if anybody has <laughs> any really cool ideas for a title about a book. On uh, how about run, <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah. Like run. Like sometimes, well, I talk about the, I talk about cut and running the whole idea of cutting and running like boom. And like, and how do we treat people? We need to treat people in a more caring way, even if we need to exit the relationship. So I talk openly about a lot of different stuff that people don't talk about. Mm, that's Thorny interesting. Stuff. But anyway, back to the soulmate thing. I think that when you feel that connection, those are soulmates, I think. And I think we each have thousands, maybe tens of thousands of soulmates in the universe. And sometimes we run into a few of them here and there, maybe dozens of them over a lifetime, but they are a small subset of a much larger group because we connect with, we can connect on a deep level with many people that we're not going to run into all the time either. So when you do run into them physically, in physical form, you go, wow, this is cool. And we just, it's like fi finishing the other's conversations. It's like you start, you, you don't see them for three years and it just pick up where you left off. Everybody has had that type of experience. I think those are precursors to uh, memories, potentially, of other lifetimes. And so um, I, I think I, that's what I think. That's, that's my interpretation of that. Well, I, I feel the same way. And I, sometimes I can't explain something and it, it, it's, I call them the little miracles that have no explanation, but you want to connect them somehow. Like why, like, why am I in this Wilmington, North Carolina? I mean, what has brought me here and, and everything that, you know, conspired to have me sitting right here at this moment. So let's tell the, let's tell everybody um, where to find you. So it's overcoming the fear of death.org, but it's also turningwithin.org. Turningwithin.org, exactly. You can go to either one. And like I said, you can go um, to the bottom of every page and it links to the other one. So I thought I'd bring the bookmark just because some people are more visual and they sure. go, what's he saying? You know, so, um, and plus that, that URL is kind of long. It's overcoming the fear of death.org. So they're all .orgs because it's nonprofit. That's great. And the other thing is I answer all of my own emails personally, and I encourage people to uh, set up a, I always do a, a free initial call with people. So I'll talk with people for, you know, an hour or so for free and deal with issues that they have and so forth, or talk a little bit about more about how I might be able to help them. So that's always available to any, anybody. That's amazing. Well, I know you're a busy guy, but I really do appreciate the time that you shared with us today. I think the way you think is amazing. And I, I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully one day meeting you face to face. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.